This is an ABC News special. COVID-19, what you need to know. From ABC News headquarters, here is correspondent Aaron Katursky. The number of coronavirus cases continues to expand in the United States. Here in New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo just announced 11 new cases, many of them associated with an attorney who is still hospitalized. Across the country, a cruise ship is being held off the coast of California until sick passengers can be tested for coronavirus. We know all of this and the other daily headlines are weighing on your mind. And so we want to get right to your questions about COVID-19 with our chief health and medical editor, Dr. Jennifer Ashton. She sat down with ABC's Diane Macedo. Dr. Jen, first, people want to know, does hand sanitizer really help? Okay, well, the long answer is yes, it helps. It's better than nothing. Uh, Anything with 60% or more of alcohol base will absolutely help. But the gold standard in reducing risk of infection and infection control in general is hand washing with soap and water. And um, a study in a peer-reviewed journal that I found fascinating showed that only 5% of adults wash their hands properly, which means for at least 20 seconds, vigorously rub your hands back and forth with a good lather because you want to actually dislodge uh, larger particles. And then you have to dry your hands properly. If you touch a faucet that you just turned on with your dirty hand, you're just recontaminating yourself. So both are effective. Both are important. Um, and yeah, I, as if you're if you can get to a sink, get to a sink. I think you once told me you're supposed to sing happy birthday or something like that to make sure you've been scrubbing long enough. Yeah, you're supposed to sing twice. But listen, if you're standing next to me, you actually don't want to hear me sing. that. So. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, our next question uh, has to do with the concerns about overwhelming, you know, the healthcare system. Yeah. If you contract covid, what's the guidance for self-care at home? Our healthcare system is already overwhelmed. Um, I actually work in a real hospital, and anyone who's been to an emergency room in the last decade knows it's always backed up. There's always a wait for beds. So we don't have the built-in excess capacity to accommodate even 10% more. That is true. Um, so that's where, again, the individual responsibility that we can take person by person really helps not only us, but helps our society and our our country. So um, the guidance right now on people with mild viral symptoms, and the first and most reasonable question is, well, how do I know if I have uh, COVID-19 or coronavirus? You know, the, the short answer is you don't know. But if you are tested, if you meet criteria, if you have travel to an affected area or direct contact, or there's even a suspicion of now community to community spread, um, then the first thing you should do is what you would do if you thought you had flu. If you have a fever, if you have mild symptoms, stay home, call your health care provider if you have one. If you don't have one, call the local emergency room or local uh, Department of Health, and they can instruct you on next steps. Obviously, anyone at any time with any kind of severe symptom, whether it's from a virus or not, should go to an emergency room. But I also want people to remember here, while this is all we're talking about in the medical health realm, every single day in this country, people have heart attacks, they have seizures, they have accidents, they have asthma attacks, they go into labor. So that's what an emergency room is dealing with, along with the high numbers of flu. So um, this is not all just let's open up hospitals just for coronavirus. Um, We have to remember that those patients dealing with those other things also need care. And do we know at this point how long viruses will live on surfaces? 
Everyone's asking me that question, Diane. We definitely don't know with this virus. Um, that's called fomite, uh, those particles of the virus. So it's not known how long they survive on dry surfaces. But we do suspect, based on what we know about other coronaviruses, that it can be transmitted on people's hands. So that's why when you hear people say, try not to touch your face, which is almost impossible, everyone does it. That's because if I shake someone's hand and that person has just sneezed, uh, and then I shake their hand and touch my face, that's how it can be passed. So hand washing, hand washing, hand washing. And then uh, I know we talked about self-care at home. At what point uh, do people, is there sort of a red flag that they should know that at this point they should go to the doctor? Well, I think, first of all, if you have a chronic medical condition, a weakened immune system, you're pregnant, um, those are, are higher risk groups. If you're over the age of 60, that's a higher risk population for this coronavirus, not in general, but based on published data thus far. Um, and at any age, trust your gut. If you feel like you're getting worse and not better, something is making you nervous, you're having difficulty breathing, um, you know, things like that, we're not going to be giving medical advice to 330 million people uh, through the media when it comes to that kind of thing. Trust your instinct. And certainly if you're in one of those high risk categories, if you have a health care provider, you want to speak to them sooner rather than later. Um, but obviously any severe symptoms, you, you do need to go to an emergency room. Our next question, is it true that children are not affected? Not true, but a very interesting question. Um, Italy, South Korea have no deaths in the pediatric age group um, or under the age of 30. That's really important. Um, that doesn't mean that we won't unfortunately see that in the future. Um, but then when you look really at the pediatric age group, we don't understand why children aren't becoming sick with this. It's probably unlikely that they're not getting infected. So they may be vectors. That's one possibility that the virus is infecting them. They're not showing symptoms. And then those children are helping to spread it within the community. Or it may be something in their immune system uh, that protects them a little. It's probably the former and not the latter. How fast has this virus spread in comparison to other viruses? Definitely faster than SARS, um, which we saw in 2002, um, uh, by exponential factors. Um, but again, I, I want to encourage people. It's it's medically and scientifically interesting, especially uh, for medical and science geeks like myself, to compare it to other viruses. But it's not a competition. And remember, ultimately, this we have to stay apples to apples. So to compare it to something like Ebola or SARS uh, or influenza. Influenza, H1N1, 1918, the list keeps going on and on. That's interesting. There are some important factors there, absolutely. But ultimately, we have to stay in the here and now and, and focus on this. And there's a lot that we don't know about this novel coronavirus. Is it safe to fly? We have to remember, if, if you want really the, the Dr. Jennifer Ashton answer on that, um, I fly all the time. People fly all the time. We get exposed to low levels of radiation every time we go up to 30,000 feet. Um, you know, there are people who worry about plane crashes, um, even though statistically getting in your car is much more difficult. So that's when I say everyone's risk tolerance, their ability to stratify risk versus benefit is different. 
I personally believe it is safe to fly. That's my personal opinion. I have not changed any of my plans to travel for work, and I have a lot of it coming up in the next three months. Um, however, when I get on an airplane, I also worry about getting norovirus, the GI virus, or influenza. So I wipe down my area and my tray table, um, and I clean my hands a lot. So uh, I don't think right now there's anything particularly different based on what we know right now uh, for me that has made me say, no, flying is not safe. What are your final thoughts on what people need to know right now to stay safe? You know, Diane, I think what's important today was important a month ago and almost two months ago, but it seems to grow in importance um, by the hour and by the day, which is it is more important than ever for everyone to be comfortable with uncertainty, which goes against common sense. But we need to be able to say what we know and what we don't know. And in medicine and public health, sometimes what we don't know is as or more important than what we do know. Um, and I think that that is really important here. Um, it's important because it's true. It's important because this is a dynamic and evolving situation. And it's important because the person that you're talking to, whether that's an individual individual patient or the entire country will lose trust in people who say one thing yesterday, you know, with with absolute certainty and then do a 180 degree turnaround tomorrow. We don't know a lot in medicine and science. And so when you hear someone say we know it all, we know everything, um, you're probably not talking to the wisest scientist or physician or public health expert. So I think that's really important. And then two other terms that I want to leave people with pondering, and I know we're going to be talking about this a lot. Number one, this concept of tip of the iceberg. We've said it, um, people are gonna start hearing it more and more. What that means is, yes, people do suspect um, and expect that there are a lot of cases under the radar undetected. As we are able to test more people, we are gonna see confirmed cases go up. That's just a no-brainer. When you look for something in medicine, you will find it a lot of the time. So tip of the iceberg is a concept that I do think is accurate and important. Um, and lastly, this concept of flattening the curve. I think that at some point, whether it's in a community, whether it's in the country, or whether it's global there will start to be a shift between saying, all right, the horse has left the barn. We, we can't really stop or contain this virus anymore, but we can slow its spread. And that's where our responsibilities to ourselves and to our community is really, really important because what you and I do literally can affect our, not only our small circle around us, but our community and, and the larger population. So that's another term people are going to be hearing a lot of. It comes out of epidemiology, but it, it's really important. Flatten that curve means slow the spread. Dr. Jennifer Ashton, our chief health and medical editor here at ABC News. There's another nagging question that's been associated with coronavirus, and that is the rate of death. The World Health Organization put it this week at 3.4 percent, but there's a lot of doubt about that. So we invited Dr. Melody Graber with our medical unit here at ABC News to come in and, and talk a little bit about this. Are we to not believe the World Health Organization? Oh, thank you for having me here. To start off, I don't think that it shouldn't that we shouldn't believe the World Health Organization. The bottom line is that not enough people have been tested to know the true mortality rate at this time. How long could that take? Years? I don't think it's going to take years. It'll probably take a few weeks. It's going to be something that continues to evolve. This whole situation is still evolving. 
Um, we expect this is probably just the tip of the iceberg with the number of cases that we're going to see. And you need more. You need a bigger sample rate in order to figure out what, how many people are dying? Exactly. Uh, so 80% of the cases of corona we expect to be just mild cases. Many of these people may never even see a healthcare provider or get tested. So the number is probably much bigger than we know and will know. Um, with very little testing going on, uh, we don't have a good baseline of how many people are actually sick. And with that number, we can't have a good baseline to know how many people are surviving versus not surviving. So you need a, a, a larger sample size uh, to, to break it down. It's fascinating. So wh- where does 3.4% come from? So the 3.4% is coming from the small number of cases that we have. And then we have different countries estimating their own mortality rates. Um, countries like China um, and Japan have higher numbers and are testing more people so they can make better estimates than us. But like I said before, the situation's evolving. So we need to wait and see. Right. Because if we estimated it now in the United States, we've got, what, 10 deaths on the West Coast, and only yeah. 100 cases or so, that would that's a skewed number. It's definitely skewed. And the number of deaths is going up. Uh, I think we're at 11 right now, actually, if not more. Um, but it's definitely skewed. To use these numbers to make an estimate about how everything is going to play out would be misleading. Uh, and probably irresponsible. I agree. Uh, Dr. Melody Graver, uh, thank you so much for helping to clarify it for us from our, our medical unit. Uh, there is, of course, uh, different uh, responses going on around the world uh, to this as thousands more cases crop up. Once again, ABC's Diane Macedo with our James Longman in London. Thousands of new cases of COVID-19 have been reported overseas in the last 24 hours. Italy was hit especially hard by this outbreak, and now the whole country is basically on virtual lockdown. James Longman just returned from Italy and has more on that. James, I'm happy to see you doing well. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Well, I didn't pick up anything up, I hope. Uh, I don't think I did anyway. But yeah, Italy is uh, on lockdown, specifically the schools. Now, this is a pretty drastic uh, drastic effort by the Italian authorities. You've seen this happen already in Japan, but the Italian authorities are closing all schools until March 15. Uh, and this is part of a wider theme we're seeing actually around the world. The United Nations is saying 22 countries across three continents are implementing some kind of school shutdown or closure, not necessarily telling all students to stay away, but uh, implementing some kind of measure to keep students away. Here in the United Kingdom, for instance, there were some kids who'd been away on their vacation uh, and, uh, you know, to parts of Europe which have been hit, like you say, in Italy, in France, the skiing slopes, uh, the Alps there, uh, and they were told that they shouldn't come back to school. So we've seen this kind of in certain countries around the world, but Italy now saying all schools, no-go zones. And the issue is, phrase community spread, because we're not really seeing COVID-19 take hold uh, amongst younger people. It's generally the very old or those who have underlying uh, medical conditions. But the issue is if kids pick it up, uh, maybe at school, uh, take it home with them, and then it gets transmitted. Because, of course, you can have this illness and not display any symptoms for quite some time. That is where the issue is. So the Italians are also saying today, along with the school shutdown, they're restricting access to nursing homes, elderly care homes, because that is a real issue. Italy actually has one of the oldest populations on Earth, just like Japan. I think it's no coincidence that these are the countries that are having serious issues with COVID-19 cases uh, and also deaths. So we'll have to see uh, if this manages uh, to limit the spread in Italy. So far, their cases, as you say, just keep going up day by day. And James, I know you mentioned France as well. What are they doing to try to contain this? 
Yeah, so a few days ago, the Louvre, the famous museum there in Paris, shut down. I know we reported yesterday it had reopened, but I think there was some trepidation amongst museum staff about going back to work. Last year, nearly 10 million people visited the Louvre from all over the world. Paris is, I think, if not the most visited city on Earth. It's certainly up there in the top five. So you can imagine museum staff would be a little bit worried about having to come into close contact with so many people from all over the world. So what they've said, basically, is they don't have to touch any uh, visitors, and specifically around the Mona Lisa, the very famous painting, the Mona Lisa. If you've ever been, you'll know that the large crowds congregate. And what happens if you, when you go to see that painting, you get kind of bustled away by staff. That's not going to happen anymore. The staff have been told they don't have to do that. They get breaks now to go and uh, do kind of hand sanitizing breaks. And also, the the the, uh, the museum is not going to take payment by any other method than cards in order to not get that bug on banknotes. The Bank of France says there's no evidence that it can be spread on banknotes, but it's an abundance of precaution in France in Italy, all over the world, everyone just doing what they can to make sure this thing doesn't spread anymore. And we're going to dig a little deeper now into that question about travel, because of course, as people travel from country to country, we see this virus spreading. So lots of people are wondering, is it safe to travel at all? So we're going to bring in business and aviation reporter Mark Stewart here to break that part down for us. Mark, this seems to be such a prevalent question. This time of year, a lot of people like to get away. I know that the president met with the airline's uh, CEOs yesterday. What did we learn from that meeting in terms of how they're responding to this? Well, I think the big takeaway from the meeting was to let the administration, but also the rest of us who travel, that the airlines are fit to fly. And they're taking some pretty aggressive steps. Alaska Airlines, for example, is bringing in scientists from the University of Washington to make sure that their uh, their planes are clean and safe. In fact, if you're on Alaska and you want another Coke, you're going to have to get a brand new cup. They're not recycling. In addition, carriers such as Delta, which fly those long-haul international routes, they're using what amount to be fog machines to disinfect the planes after some of those long-haul trips. It's important that they are out there because the last thing they want is for people to be afraid of flying. And we know there's been so much scrutiny about how this disease travels and such. Travel numbers are down, so the airlines want people to know, in addition to the White House, that it's safe. All right, so the concern is uh, being on the plane itself, but then also once you arrive, if you have tickets somewhere in the next one, two months, somewhere in the near future, do you cancel? I think at the end of the day, as the doctor just said, you have to do with what is comfortable for you. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. The good news is, is that if you have some concerns and you are reticent, uh, you can cancel to a degree. The airlines are offering some flexibility. It's interesting to note, though, airports around the world know people are on edge. Uh, many airports are handing out free gel. I just read that the airport in Denver, as you board the plane, is handing out those bleach wipes so you can clean the seat of your plane. But at the end of the day, you have to do with what feels right for you and your family. And for many people, that may be staying home. Fewer people are booking trips, and that means we're starting to see some prices go down. If people feel up to it, is this a good time to book travel? And does that apply to the near future or travel that's far in advance? Sure. Unfortunately, the airlines are not like the grocery store or the mall. When demand goes down, sales, prices dropping, not necessarily right on cue. Talking to economists, talking to industry experts, they say sometime in the next two weeks, if we see a price drop, that's when it will really hit. 
right now jet fuel is cheap. So that's one thing that's helping the airline. So they don't want to drop the prices unless they absolutely have to. With that said, last night, Alaska Airlines was offering $20 one-way fares between some cities. But I think that's more of a novelty as opposed to what's going to be the norm. All right. We appreciate it, Mark. Thank sure, you Diane. so much. ABC's Diane Macedo there with Mark Stewart, a travel expert. And this comes uh, on a day when the airlines estimate global revenue losses between 63 and $113 billion because of coronavirus. One person who's traveling, not commercial, uh, is Vice President Pence. Let's turn to the White House. ABC's Karen Travers is there. He's headed off to Minnesota and the home of 3M. What's he doing, Karen? He's there to talk to the company about its production of protective masks, Aaron. Essentially, his message will be ramp it up and make sure that hospitals, labs, state and uh, federal public health officials have everything they need. Unclear if there'll be some big deliverable to come out of this, but he's there to show that they are, I think, covering all of their basis in this public health issue, not just the health side of it, but the economic side, too. We're speaking with Karen Travers from her post at the White House, which is also doing its best to get a handle on the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, Some of that includes just raw money, Karen, and Congress is expected to send the president uh, a coronavirus package for more than $8 billion. Yeah, $8.3 billion uh, to combat coronavirus. This is more than triple the original request from President Trump. And the president, when uh, he started to hear some of the criticism from Democrats and Republicans that that was not enough, he said, hey, if they, they want to give us more, we'll take it. Uh, so they came up with this $8.3 billion bipartisan compromise. And the money will go to a wide range of things. There's about a billion dollars in it that's going to be used to reimburse state and local governments for the costs that they've already con- incurred so far trying to contain the virus. Another $350 million will be used to target the virus in hot spots like Washington State. Also, I should note, that's where the vice president is also going today to meet with the governor and toward the state's emergency operations center. And we also expect he'll take questions. Ten of the 11 deaths so far tied to coronavirus are in Washington State. They've had more than 40 confirmed cases there. So this is the vice president uh, showing force, continuing his role as the leader of the task force, but also sending a message to states that the federal government is here to help, but what worked, what didn't work, because they're fully expecting this is going to happen in other parts of the country. And and the president himself had to backtrack a little bit, Karen, when, when he appeared in one interview to say mild symptoms you can still go to work. It was an interesting comment from the president. So he was uh, on Sean Hannity's show on Fox News last night and comments he made about how people are feeling. He says, you know, you've got hundreds or thousands of people who get better and that some sit around and some even go back to work, but they get better. People jumped on this last night saying the president was saying it's okay for people with mild cases of coronavirus to go back to work. He tweeted that he never said that, uh, but I think it is a little ambiguous as to what he was saying. I don't think he was saying if you were diagnosed with coronavirus and you feel okay, go back to work. I think what he's trying to say is that there are some people who might have it or feel sick and don't realize it. And they do continue doing what they're doing and eventually get better. Now, the fact that we're trying to parse exactly what he was saying just shows the president has muddled the message here and has, I think, confused many people across this country. ABC's Karen Travers with us from her post at the White House as cases of coronavirus mount on both coasts and in places in between. 
Here in New York, 11 new cases. California is waiting to test sick passengers on a cruise ship that is currently being held off the coast of San Francisco. Health officials in Las Vegas are briefing on the first presumptive positive case there in Las Vegas. And we have heard from health departments all around this country. New Jersey has one case, too, and they're talking about that this afternoon as coronavirus grips the country. I'm Aaron Katursky, and you've been listening to an ABC News special. ABC News. Honored. Winner of four Edward R. Murrow Awards. ABC News. America's number one news choice. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.